0: to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast, myself Stuart Court and Mr. Adam Nathan. We're careering towards episode 200, Adam. How are we?
1: Doing well, yeah. Episode 200 of the pod is round the corner. Uh, and at least, I guess the, the biggest fear for this season was that we'd have nothing really to talk about and it would be <laughs> dull as dishwater. The team's been anything but that. I mean, they're not much good, but at least they're not boring. <laughs> so that's, that's, one, that's one thing they've got going for them.
0: No, there's certainly not that. Uh, joining us this, this week, it's been a couple of years. Uh, but one one of one of the most one of the best people, a long time uh beat writer, radio host over in Seattle, uh, Mr. Danny O'Neill. Welcome back to the pedestrian podcast, sir.
2: Thank you guys for having me. Uh I, I really appreciate the invitation. I've always enjoyed talking to you guys, so thank you.
0: No, uh, always you, a pleasure. Are you, are you still East Coast?
2: I do. I live in I live in New York City right now. Uh my wife is actually over in Seoul. Uh she went over there earlier uh this week. So I am I, I'm I'm alone with my dog right now in Manhattan.
0: Nice. That's, that's that's like the opposite of what Carrie Bradshaw used to write about, isn't
2: it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's like living a fantastic life. I don't have anything to do.
0: <laughs> uh, so the, uh, the Seahawks um, went to the uh, the South, New Orleans. Uh, one of the road trips I really want to do when the Seahawks uh, have the Saints on the road and on the schedule. Like they, they they come off our shores, landing them back on their shores, and um, ran, well, one one person in particular ran all over us, Adam.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would argue that it's quite hard to call yourself a serious NFL team if Taysom Hill scores four (laughs) touchdowns against you. I think if you have like a 10 commandments of what it's like to be a real team, I reckon number three or four is thou shalt not let Taysom Hill score four touchdowns against you. Uh, Danny's ruefully shaking that head of yours uh I have a feeling you've got a take on that one.
2: Yeah, he also recovered a fumble. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> just... um, so I understand why Taysom Hill's effective. And there's there's actually a lot of things that I really like about the way the Saints have used Taysom Hill. Like I, I think it's I think it's a really smart way to to run your football team to have a player like him where he throws well wow. enough to create some problems. He, you don't really care if he gets hurt. So you let him run between the tackles. Like you really, he's a physical runner. Like he creates some problems. And it is, look, when you put him in as the quarterback and he's essentially the running back, you change the math like forever. Like one of the realities of, of football is that the defense will always have one more defender than you have blockers because of the quarterback that changes that changes when you then have the quarterback as the running back, right? You essentially are putting an extra blocker. So it changes the, the array of, of, of blockers that you can put out in front of him. It changes the gaps. Like I understand all of that, but dude, when he comes into the game, like, you know, he's going to run the ball. Like, and on the 61 yard touchdown, you saw one of their defensive tackles, like charging up field in a pass rush. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like square, square your shoulders up and take up as much space as your wide ass can, because he's going to run the ball. And he ran sixty-one yards for like it was just. I I, w- I would agree with you. Like a serious NFL defense doesn't doesn't get beat by by Taysom Hill in a game, and the Seahawks got beat by Taysom Hill.
0: Yeah, because I mean, ev- everything else was kind of. It was. It was. It was like a repeat of what we saw in Detroit, with probably at a, a least a, a less effective quarterback in Dalton. I mean, I think Golf threw it around the yard more than uh, Dalton did, but everything else apart from those, that well, yeah, Taysom Hill's plays was, yeah, it's just a repeat of everything else, wasn't it? Just we had just much more glaring, um, glaring uh, nuisance on Sunday.
2: And the Saints have a good defense, and Seattle's <laughs> offense looked really good. Like, I will I will raise my hand and say I was like Captain Cynical over Gino's game against Detroit, where I was like, he looks good. I think it's really encouraging what's happened. The way he played against New Orleans, I was like, Wow, like mm. that's that's impressive. And I'm not somebody who's get who's who's all carried away and like oh my gosh he might be the long term quarterback it's a possibility like I still don't think that's the most likely outcome here but they their offense looks really good against a, a good defense like New Orleans has a good defense like it's their offense that's god awful oh, yeah. they got beat by that god awful offense that was using the the the, the, the one trick pony where they allowed to have three tricks.
0: Yeah, but like Gino makes, it's three, maybe four throws on Sunday. Gino, like the touch, like the touchdown to Tyler in the fourth quarter is incredible. It's absolutely perfectly placed, and like we got used to kind of seeing that in the early part of the the, the Broncos' quarterbacks time in Seattle, but. um here uh, but like it, it, and the one to the sideline is it to DK on the sideline where he floats it the DK touchdown like DK immediately off the line is waving his arms and for for the first time in DK's career possibly the quarterback sees him and puts it on a plate to him and um, yeah like this, this he's properly like we had no expectations for any yeah. of this outside of week one we were like whatever happens happens but this is, yeah, like, I think the our, our, our man Mike Dugas wrote today, like, the Celtics got a decision to make, and probably a lot quicker than they expected to make a decision on that position, Adam.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... we. Huh. The Gino thing is fascinating because there isn't, when you dig deeper, as much money... In the you know in the coffers for Seattle to spend next year, there's a lot of money locked up in not that many players. There's only 33 players that are signed to next year. I think I'm going off some stats that Rob Staten gave out. And oh, I mean, I don't want the seals to get flackoed by Geno Smith, basically, <laughs> because ultimately and. And this is a really harsh way to look at it because Gino Smith, this is a, a fantastic story. And if you got to the Pro Bowl at this stage or the skills competition, it wouldn't stun you. But with a cold head, you need to look at this process and say, what takes us to being a championship team? And I don't think that Gino Smith is a championship quarterback. I do think maybe if, you know, the ball drops in the right way and you close one eye and squint with the other he might take you to a 10 or 11 win team consistently but i kind of feel danny that the way the nfl is now that this sort of pride that there once was of being a consistent 10 11 win team of going out in the playoffs well you give yourself a chance every year that doesn't strike me as the best way to approach things anymore i, I think with with the level of parity there there is in the nfl now You're almost better off saying we're going to capitalize on our two years of potential and then maybe have a dip and then go back and have a dip. And that's not the Pete Carroll way. But I just worry that getting too bogged down, not bogged down, too sort of wrapped up in the Gino story might lead to some hot headed decisions that actually handcuff you away from the greater goal here, which is rebuild a championship winning team.
2: I'm going to Geno Smith and his agent will hate to hear my approach. Um, I think that Seattle should be encouraged by what they've seen from Geno Smith. And I don't think there's a single thing that can happen this season that should make them not draft a quarterback in the offseason with one of those first four picks. And I think you can still even pay Geno Smith. And if it's a three year, $90 million contract, if he keeps playing this way. And if he doesn't would you want, go to
1: that much, would you go to that much?
2: Depends on how he looks like it, it really, like if he plays this way the whole year, like if, if what we've seen. Yeah. Because I don't think that that money is going to end up killing you mm-hmm. because either he's going to stay your starting quarterback. And at which case three years and 30 million is, is okay. Even if it's sort of a mid road, starter that is kind of the Kirk cousins ish thing, which is the fear, right? The guy that gets you high centered and you can have that while you're still trying to find the guy that gets you over the top. You can't, you can't stop. There's nothing that Geno Smith will really do this year. And honestly, over the next couple of years that should make Seattle stop being very aggressive in trying to acquire and find a young quarterback who will be the guy of the future. Like they, they should be looking at that now. Up until this point, I would have said that they should use two of their first four picks on quarterbacks. Like I am all in (laughs) on the idea that (laughs) like that the NFL teams are really stupid when they when they start kind of boxing themselves in Seattle has four picks in the first two rounds. I don't if if this way went like I thought and Geno Smith and Drew Locke both look to be like it's like Charlie Whitehurst, Tavares Jackson, like they're not the guys. It's like draft two quarterbacks. And let the best one play like and if the one guy doesn't work out, at least you've got another guy that's developing in your system that's ready to go rather than, okay, we're going to put it out like we're going to we're going to have to wait and hold our breaths and, and 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 hope that this is the guy. Because when you draft a quarterback, you know, at the end of year three, right, Like, end of year three, you have a pretty good idea by the end of year two, but, you know, at the end of year three, so. I, I, would, I would echo everything you'd say. And if Geno wants to force the decision and say, like, you have to decide whether I'm your franchise quarterback and a long-term contract, I'm like, well, we're going to franchise tag you then. And you, that's a lot of money on a one-year deal, and you're really not going to play? Like, no, you're going to play. Um, I, I think Seattle's in a really good position, but they need to be disciplined about it and, and say that no matter how good the Geno Smith story looks this year, You can't, there's nothing that can happen this year that should make you believe you have quarterback figured out to the point that you stop drafting guys and pay him the four to five year, you're our made man franchise quarterback, you're our quarterback of the future contract.
1: Is there any part of you that, let's say this form goes on for eight, nine, 10 weeks, I don't know when the deadline is, which is going to be a pricey to what I'm about to say and Josh Allen goes down with an ACL is there any part of you that would deal Geno Smith and just try and take what you can get given that you probably don't think he's the championship winning quarterback because there's part of me that wonders if he's going to say well I want 30 million dollars a year I'm not sure I would touch that personally but that's that's you know people have their opinions on that I don't know like I I don't want to tank this season. I'm enjoying watching them be competitive. And I think being competitive is important. It's good for mentality for the young players and making free agents want to come. But again, I'm really trying to come at this from a, I want the
2: trophy back in my hand as quickly as possible thing. No, I would not trade him. Mm-hmm. Because the assets that you get for him, you're, that is a couple years down the road and i just i don't i don't see that being a viable approach there's not a lot of of track record that points to when teams do that that it that it helps it's not the same as basketball and even basketball i think that can be fleeting although now there's the 7 foot 4 guy that everybody's going <laughs> to suck deliberately for this year um but cleveland's a good example of that like there is a cost with a very, very unclear upside, even when you get all of those, there's value to having Geno Smith. Like there's, I think that's very clear, right? There's a value to having a guy that has more upside than I anticipated. And it buys you time and development. And it basically gives you the opportunity to play. To, I look at quarterback development as a, a comparison to poker, where you're, evaluating the number of assets that you have, like how much are you betting on this hand and what are the, what is the likelihood of that hand's success. The benefit with quarterback development is you can play multiple hands at one time and most NFL teams are too cowardly to do that because they get caught up in this, we have to get out the, the, the holy oil and anoint our franchise quarterback that there's this big sort of, this this coronation that goes on. And once you do that, everything in the franchise becomes about preserving that guy's confidence. One of the reasons the Seahawks are in this spot is because they never drafted quarterbacks because they knew that what that would do to Russ. I think that that was the right decision because I think, I mean, God knows how mad he was when they went and looked at another quarterback. <laughs> but it set them back because essentially you were you were starting from scratch at that position and the, the model, the best way to do it is clearly what green Bay did for years with Favre. And then that's kind of how they ended up with Rogers. Um, and it hasn't worked out with Jordan love, but man, that's the way you want to do it.
0: Yeah. I think, I think my thinking with that question was wherever Gino got paid this year, if, if he asked to double it, I think I'd, that would probably be my, Limit to what I'd want to pay him. And then, yeah, like, like it's like the, the years yeah. on that as well. But it's like, yeah, you, you, you take, you instead of looking at four, five, six pick uh-huh. quarterback, you're now looking at like the 40s, maybe even his 70 odd picks, like people like Sam Hartman coming to the conversation. If they continued playing how they are, he is at Wake Forest. But like, he has changed the conversation for the team and for himself, which obviously was. Probably the one thing he was trying to do is the one. It's probably the the reasoning behind what is it? The they they tried to write me off and I didn't write back. Kind of quite. That's 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 the basis of all of that. That is kind of he 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 knew what people were saying about him because well one because he. Um, what's it? He searches his name on Twitter, I think. Yeah, he of, does. Like, A couple of years yeah, ago. I don't
1: I've like that. On, <laughs> I don't like that.
0: that. I've been on the end of that, let me tell you. <laughs> um, Isn't that
2: weird when it happens? Yeah. Like when you're like, oh, dude, oh, oh, you're seeking it out. You're seeking it out. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, like it's, like, it's all, it's what, while we're well, now week six, is this week six? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, it's, this is, this is a pretty long, pretty expansive, um, yeah, it's, it's it's just changed everything. It's just it's just going to be interesting to see, as you say, that if this continues, how further much further that does change everything. But yeah, like it's, like Adam said, it's been a hell of a lot of fun, way more fun than we ever expected it uh, to be. Especially, obviously,
2: mainly on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, the defense is just a tire fire. I are they going to? I think they gotta go back to their old defense. Like, I honest well, to God, do. Sher-
0: Sherm said on his podcast on Monday, like he literally said the words, I'm gonna go and have a chat with Pete. He needs to go <laughs> back. But like, he he like
2: Oh god, <laughs> <That's so great.
0: laughs> but I'm gonna go and have a chat with a guy who's had a system for 45 years and tell him to change his approach. It's yeah, I, I know I know he's like change it up, we could but um yeah, Danny, do you know
1: what the D de- funny talking about T- Taysom Hill for me was kind of the perfect person to come in and expose the issues because he is basically a chaos ball player. Mm-hmm. And when I'm watching Seattle on defense, this is a, I love a ham fisted analogy. So, you know, let's, let's uh, carry <laughs> on. If you ever go like and see a show on Broadway or like down in London here, you know, when one of the actors stumbles on a line a bit. Mm-hmm. and you're sat there for the whole of the rest of the show just mm-hmm. on edge like someone's gonna fuck the lineup someone's gonna make a mistake that's what watching the seahawks defense feels like to me this year after 10 years of just clean like they may have been bad at some point but at least it was clean and organized <laughs> does that make any sense it feels me right now like they've not learned their lines properly but they're <laughs> on stage
2: yeah i i will say this so uh is a it's about a month ago now we went and saw the Music Man on Broadway mm-hmm. Uh a production. Hugh Jackman uh, is 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 performing as as Harry Hill, the traveling salesman who brings the band to River City. Um, There we saw a series of flubs. The mayor's mustache started to come off mid scene. <laughs> Hugh Jackman got the giggles, the the kid that has the lisp. He flubbed some of his lines and it was really fun. Like Everybody was kind of into it. You're like live theater like. The Seahawks flubbing their lines is not fun. No, <laughs> no
0: I it's fun this is, for. T- it's this fun. is not
2: adding to my enjoyment. No. I was like, "Oh, this is this is what it seems to be."
1: I think maybe the uptight London audiences get a bit more freaked out by flubs on stage than the uh, <laughs> happier, like clappier New York yeah, style.
2: America's like, oh yeah, we're seeing authenticity.
1: <laughs> I think everyone just sinks back in their chair over here a little bit.
2: But yeah, there was a point. I'm not going to remember the specific play. No, I am. It was quarter Patterson. He had like a 41 yard run. When, if you look at that, Atlanta lines up heavy on the right side. Like they're showing strength. There are two tight ends on, on that side of the line. Like it's a very clear indicator of strength and basic defensive alignment. Like you, they needed another defender over there. Like, I'm I'm not someone who tries to call out coverages or diagnose exactly what scheme they're in. Like, I'm I'm not that guy. And this was very evident to me where you're like, they're light. Like there's there's a fundamental lineup. They don't have enough humanity on, on the left side of, of the ball because of how it was. And then not only that, but the two deep, the two tackles, the two tackles that are there. Or I guess they're calling one of them an end now, but the two the two fattest guys on the defensive line both push <laughs> the opposite way, like away from the straight. <laughs> like you guys were just screwed from the get go, and that's exactly what you're talking about, which is they they are goofed like that. That's that's just inexperience, and that's not having a linebacker that's capable of recognizing it in in real time and inexperience with the scheme. So it is like th- there, there is some of that they were saying. And the I don't think they're going to switch back, but I, I definitely think Pete is going to become more involved. They're, they've got three chefs right now on that defense. There is Clint Hurt, who basically coaches the front seven. Um, Carl Scott is the guy that coordinates the defense. And then Sean Desai, who's the assistant head coach, is kind of the person who's in charge of of pulling it all together and Pete sees his role as head coach when it comes to scheme as largely fixing problems. Like that's what a head coach head coach sets sort of the tempo and controls the culture and fixes the problems has, has systems in place to fix the problems. I think the defense will get better. It's profoundly disappointing how poorly they're playing at this point point and does make me ask the question of whether they had a massive miscalculation. We brought up the question of, of trading Gino this past off season. There was the question of when you traded Russell, are you starting over? And if you were starting over, you trade Tyler Lockett and you trade DK Metcalf instead of signing him. If the de- the way the defense has played has made me wonder if they made the wrong call there and should have moved those guys to get assets because I thought, I thought they had a baseline of, of talent that the, the defense was going to grow from. And it, and it appears that this defense is absolutely starting from scratch. And that's pretty inexplicable at this point.
0: It, it's it, on the defense. though. it kind of feels like the same, but the O-line is a good example where it goes into the season. We had no we had question marks really over the two rookies because they're rookies. And on the defense is obviously the same with Kobe Bryant and, and Tariq Woolen and a somewhat, and, and tried, there's not much mileage in the tank, and Michael Jackson as well. And then you've got Boye Maffe up front. But the, the disappointments on both the airline and the defense, from what I can see, from a very untrained eye, is the guys who have been there a while. Is the is, is, is the middle three on the airline with the center, Austin Blythe? Oh, yeah, he hasn't been there a while. But Gabe Jackson is probably. Yeah. One of the biggest disappointments on, on the entire team through five games. And on the defense, Quandre's missing a few tackles. Yep. Um, you've got Jordan Brooks just doesn't and Kobe Barton Kobe Kobe Barton? Cody Barton? Cody Barton. Uh, Brody Carson, as we named him once, we had no idea who he was. Um like they're the guys who are like when you watch it and you see missed tackles or you see like just running down into where where the player once was, it's the guys who you're probably more assured about heading into season. And that's kind of a bigger disappointment than anything else is that the guys who are new here and the rookies and like both post like Abe Lucas is playing out of his mind.
2: It looks really good. For
0: a, what was it fourth round pick or whatever it was, but yeah, it's just, that's the, that's the concerning part is it's the experience, not the inexperience that is seems to be kind of dragging everything down for both units. Cause when it goes wrong in the run game or Bajino, it's Gabe or Damian Lewis or Austin Blythe who are getting beat, not consistently the two rookies at left and right tackle.
2: Yeah, the, the rookie tackles. Like the good news, the good news for Seahawks fans beyond just Geno Smith is that, look, it looks like they got a pretty good crop of rookies. There's two tackles, and, and Tariq Woolen looks like a legit real deal. Like, I, biggest upside since since Sherm well, I guess Bobby's 2012 but like he's got star potential that way like it's it's the first time in a while where i felt like okay that 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 guy could be one of the best players at his position in the entire league they they haven't had somebody like that on defense in since since that they drafted since Bobby um and 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 the two tackles the two tackles look really really good um, I, I agree with you on Gabe Jackson. I think that's a problem. Um, <clears throat> Daryl Taylor, I I think looks he just looks like he doesn't know what's going on. He's an incredibly athletic pass rusher. And I I know that they were hoping and feeling he was going to be a real emotional leader. And and I think I spent three days during their mandatory mini camps and got to see things. So I got a better sense this year of how the team was feeling about players. So I knew how excited the coaches were about woolen and Abe Lucas specifically. And you've seen that. <laughs> I also saw how excited they were about Daryl Taylor. And now I'm saying that this was one of the classic Pete Carroll, like talking about a guy in what he hopes he'll become mm-hmm. as opposed to like, right. Like, cause that's, you have to under everything. Pete Carroll says makes much more sense. If you understand he is telling you what he hopes will happen. Like he's, he's like, he is telling you what he really hopes will happen. And it's not impossible. He just gives you no indication of how likely this scenario is to occur. And I feel like that one where I was like, ah, oh, I, 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 I kind of followed. I, I got hopped up on Pete's optimism on that one. Cause I was like, cause you watched him last year and he is, he's an explosive player, like and powerful and strong. And you watch him play this year and you're like, he has no idea what he's doing. And I, I think I think Mafia is the same. I think Boye Maffei is the same. That was kind of his rep, though, coming out of college. And he's a rookie, even though he's older. Like, I, I'm st- I'm still excited to see what he'll become. But man, I love Bruce. I mean, I love Bruce. Like Bruce <laughs> is one of my favorite players I've ever come with. But when they signed him this week, I was like, "Oh, oh man!" Like I, I
1: thought, I thought he was doing a KJ, like a one-day signing to retire.
2: Yeah, I when I saw that happen, I realized what it was. <laughs> it was like, dude, they don't have anybody on the outside there that they trust. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's. I, it's clearly. It's Daryl Taylor snaps that he's going to be taking, um, and I think they've kind of decided that Daryl Taylor's probably not going to be able to be on the field the way he's been playing because they can't count on it.
0: Yeah, I mean he was benched in week three for the Johnson. Johnston Daryl Johnson? He got injured. I, yeah. I,
2: yeah, the, the the linebacker in the forties. Yeah, yeah
0: <laughs> that's I mean, what I
2: knew him as. Yeah. <laughs> I like. That's a bad sign. Um, i that that dude's starting ahead of him, but, and then he got hurt and suffered a season injury. It's like, oh, Daryl Taylor's back out there. Yeah. Like, he didn't play Doesn't his happen. way back into that spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the,
0: the, the, the the thing with Tariq, though, that's the best thing of Taysom Hill's day for a Seahawks perspective is watching him almost do a DK on Buddha. But I think as someone pointed out, like effort, effort, effort let There you go. Uh, running after him at like 24 mile an hour, or whatever that, whatever that means. But like he is just, and like the like the interception on Hawkinson in Detroit is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like, uh, Earl Thomas is probably the only person you could I've ever seen do that. And so like Sherman had a lot of interceptions, but a lot of them were just because he just knew what was coming, kind of thing. But Tariq Wallen's speed. Got in that interception. So yeah, he's he's. I mean, one of, one of our mainstay listeners, Dave, says put a bet on him over here to win a defensive rookie of the year on pretty large odds. So and that those odds have uh, crumbled down significantly. He's I think he's one of the big favorites for the this year. Adam,
2: he's got three picks, right? Yeah,
0: yeah in successive games, and um, a, a field goal touchdown and a fumble recovery. Um, I think.
2: Yeah. My favorite. It was my favorite. Clint Hurt, who I I could listen to Clint Hurt talk all day. Like the like his intonations, the way he <laughs> describes things. Uh, <laughs> he was talking about. It was one of the first times I heard a coach talk about woolen. It was the, over the season. He calls him this avatar looking MF. Here comes his avatar looking MF for watching him run, and he is, dude. He is. He, he looks different um, and he's sky's the limit. He's played corner for two years. This mm. is third season playing corner.
0: I, I mean, mm. UTSA is D one, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not facing much, is it? Um,
2: no, but it's you. I can understand how those sort of things happen where he's fast and he wants to play offense and, it's not really fitting for him. And then he makes the switch and it's hard to tell. Um, Seattle has a, I mean, Seattle has a type and he fits it to a T and I think they looked at it and their, their willingness to say like, like okay, like we'll, we'll try and work with that. And, mm-hmm. and, and then watching, it was very clear early on. They bought a lottery ticket and you can't expect or project how a guy's going to respond to coaching. And it's very clear he responds and understands very well what they're getting him to do and the techniques they use.
1: I think if you were trying to write the story of the post-LOB Seahawks, the nadir of that would end up being the 2021 draft. And I guess that's probably the, the focal point of where it all has kind of ended up bottoming out and hopefully now rising. I mean, basically, the picks from that draft end up being Jamal Adams, D.S. Gridge jamal adams stone forsyth trey brown and gabe jackson and i think Stephon sullivan and ultimately you have to pay the piper at some point but you cannot just flunk an entire draft class and i wonder now if we're looking at this defense is this is where we're paying the piper or is it a case of schematically like in my mind and i don't know shit about shit but i think i watch enough to kind of know what's going on jordan brooks daryl taylor and Puna ford are not bad players and they're certainly not as bad players as they look right now Mm -hmm. is this perhaps a schematic thing that look in the same way as the team's rebuilding the defense is rebuilding and we're going to take our lumps in the wins and loss records from a macro standpoint and from a micro standpoint the defense is going to take a bit of time it's probably the kind of thing that takes two training camps to sort not one Or is it a case of, like in the last few years, the defense has started badly every year, but last Mm -hmm. year it was millions of yards, but they weren't giving up touchdowns. And you're like, well, if they can just change that, they can get back on track. doesn't feel like they're there at the moment. But do you see that as a schematic thing, a player thing, or just a case of, as I said, like 2021 was so bad that eventually, you know, the chickens come home to roost?
2: When they made the switch, this switch and and how successful it was going to be put an awful lot of faith or stock or pressure on getting speed from the two outside linebackers. Like to go to a formal three four, which they've always had tweener personnel. Like they've always basically played a four three with three four personnel. And now they are in an actual three four. And they, they needed, and that's why, that's why Moffay was picked and he and Taylor were going to be that, that you had elite speed and they both do have elite speed. And, and what, what we've seen is between that and some of the inside guys not playing that well, it's really exposed and put a lot of pressure on the tackling, which then has not been good. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do long-term. And, and some of that is based on I don't know how convicted Pete is on this switch. Um, it's not the template that he knows and is most familiar with. But him, him making the decision to switch it up, I think, was kind of like, hey, what I've always done isn't the best way to defend people in this league now. Like with, with the proliferation of passing and basically the, the, the Pete's never blitz that much. Like that's and his his mo has always been like keep everything in front of you and just keep make them do it do it do it and they'll make a mistake before we'll make a mistake and and I believe that a lot of this switch was was okay that's not enough anymore you you do you do need to provide more pressure to the quarterback and the way to do that is to go to this three four and to do that you need that speed on the outside and that that has been slow to come or there's been issues with it so the the bad part about what i've just said is the most expensive and difficult to find the most valuable trade on defense is edge speed (laughs) like that's that i mean that's that's why those dudes get drafted like defensive ends are are the second most valuable position behind quarterbacks so they do have high picks they do they do have four picks in the first two rounds, but I, I'm not sure what they'll do. I, I I think, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense of like, Hey, don't, don't overreact to a, a flaw here. Cause there's been a lot of change. And I, I, I believe in the coaches. I think Sean Desai and Carl Scott are really, really sharp dudes. Like are really, really are guys that have, have a track record and success. And, and really, I, I think that they're, their approach to the game is sound, and and maybe it does just take a little more time to take root here. I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure what they'll end up deciding about how to get the pressure that this kind of scheme requires. Um, and and I could see a situation where they went back to what the, what they've been doing before. The Jamal Adams thing has just been a disaster, and that we kind of knew that even before this season, right? Like that. And yes, last year they paid the piper for it, and they're not getting anything out of it this year, which is just too bad.
0: Yeah. Um, back on offensive from Sunday, uh, quickly, Rashad Penny. I mean, I, I, I text you, uh, Adam, pretty much immediately after. That is almost the same play he blew his knee out in LA. It's like the stretch kind of runs, gets tackled, gets rolled upon. And, and Philadelphia, I think. The first time his season's over, it's. I mean, he's looked quite good. I mean, it, but like we we've talked about putting the rookies in into spots on offense with the tackles and Tariq and Bryant. It's happening now. We with a twenty-one-year-old Kenneth Walker, who had his first touchdown, had long running. Look, I mean, we, we've had a lot of running backs, post my Sean, who have looked a lot of different ways. I don't think I've seen a running back look like. Kenneth Walker did on that run, like he, that was impressive. I know he whatever happened defensively happened, but he he's he he looks good. But now they've got to they've got they're going to give him the keys. They've signed Tony Jones off the Saints practice squad, but he's just that's just a the field of fifty three. Really, it kind of feels I feel the depth at that position. But if if he kind of. Does more with the trust he's going to have the key that the keys to offense he's basically got at that position now. Like this, as bad as 2021's class might be, twenty twenty two is it could be an accelerant if we if we sit here in two or three years to whatever we're sitting in in two or three years. But I mean, man, Rashad, like there's there, there's a lot. I think we talked when we talked to Nick Ballore in January, Feb. He he was talking about like. Like, if if his wife heard him heard the games during COVID shutdown, he wouldn't like she wouldn't let him play kind of thing. That was kind of vibe he said, wasn't it, Adam? Mm. Like the mental the men, the mental aspect of what these guys put themselves in put, put themselves through. For Shard Penny, it, like he 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 proved it at the back end of last year. Got paid, had a decent first month of the season, and now he's basically back to square one. Like where he was 12 months ago and it, like the men- the mental side of that must be absolutely wrenching for obviously him but people who coach him and the people in that building don't they
2: it's a brutal sport um and there's part of me that will there's a chunk of me that each one of those times that like it's just really unfortunate um mm-hmm. how There's nothing about him that's fragile. You could not have been a healthier college player. Like you could not have been a healthier player coming out of college as a running back than Rashad Penny was. And he broke his finger his first training camp and that kind of set him back there. And there's always been kind of Pete's Pete's wanted him to be skinnier or, or thought that he's a little bit heavy. He's an explosive combination of as big as he is with the kind of burst that he has. And that one, and we've seen it in flashes and there wasn't a running back that was any better than him. The the second half of last season, and he does get a nice salary, but it's a one-year contract. And now, as you just said, it's he's, he's back to starting and probably next season. Like he's certainly going to, if he wants it, there'll be another opportunity for him in the NFL, but that's a really long road to come back from. I, so I worked with Dave Wyman for seven years. Um, I love Dave. Dave's Dave's kind of like the older brother I never had. But you look at his career and the number of surgeries that he had, and I think he just got his knee done again a few weeks ago. I know he did. Um, it's a really, really brutal sport. And injuries play and have such a profound and sort of unforeseen, unforeseeable impact on a guy's future. I'd say the same for Jamal Adams. Like, mm-hmm. is is Jamal Adams injury prone? He's gotten hurt a lot, but you watch how he plays and it's not like he's missed. I mean, he played months with two torn labrums like that, that year that he had it. And so it's really hard. Like, I, I, I guess I've always tried to avoid the term injury prone because it's not the player. It's the sport. Yeah. Like it, it's just a, it's a brutal sport. There was for a while, the, the Seahawks had a trainer, um, who had previously been in He'd been a, a trainer for a Queens park Rangers mm-hmm. um, and Dean Riddle was his name. I love Dean. And, and he talked about kind of the difference in how conditioning and sort of the training staff works. And in, 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 in professional football, this isn't with the Seahawks, it's the NFL and it's, it's the sport in general, like the churn that happens in a, in a given year and how many guys get banged up and move through that roster it's jarring when you compare it to to soccer. And it's not just the nature of the sport, but it's also the way the player's health is valued and how someone with a strained hamstring or a sore hamstring, there's more precaution taken because of the the downtime of that injury. And players are treated more disposably in in American football. And it's, it's really hard. And it's an incredibly affluent sport, like guys that make professional football get Get paid a great deal, and it's also incredibly costly when it comes to their their health and mm. how their bodies get used up.
0: Yeah, it's
1: tough. for you to know how to approach talking about a player getting injured. Obviously, you've got the. I feel terribly sorry for him. Needless right. to say, I'm not. I'm not an idiot. Uh, it sucks for the team. Not that that matters overly, but I, I was listening to a podcast, uh, like a general NFL podcast, and uh, one of the guys was saying that you know it it's becoming borderline disingenuous when on red zone, someone gets injured and like the music drops and they drop their tone by three octaves. Oh, terrible news. There's an injury, but let's get back to this massive hit that's just happened here. At at some point it's, it's, it's kind of the way that the money wheel churns, unfortunately, and it's, it's shit to say it, but I don't know how else to rationalize it in myself because we're as bad as anyone because we watch it rapidly for 25 weeks of the year and we're desperate for it to come round. and unfortunately injury has become a dispensable part of the lives in which we live. I'm, I'm sorry to get fairly existential here but I think you kind of have to take a step back and look at it and say well this is just what's going to happen unless they make market changes to the game and I, I don't really know what the best way to I'd love to speak, You know, we're, we'll have Nick back on at some point so I'd love to talk to him about How do players want us to view injuries without being disingenuous?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question.
1: Yeah. Because obviously, you know,
2: know,
1: quote retweeting with six prayer hands emojis. Well done. No, there's great.
2: Yeah. What's the word we use now? Performative? Like performative has become this huge sort of, I I only ever see it on Twitter and it's really accurate. Like it describes it. Um, I guess all we can do is celebrate players getting contracts and then go from there. Yes, but even then, that's weird. Because, like, you talk about here's be something that I would say is hypocritical about me. Like, I'm, hey, I feel bad for Rashad Penny and the fragility of a player's career. This off season, my opinion about what Seattle should do <laughs> is a one year contract at a pretty healthy <laughs> salary because that position demands injury, and and that's like that's sound, that's a sound business approach, right? Like from yeah. a from a, and no one should castigate you for having that opinion because this is part of the sport that we follow. Right, but it is. But there's this hypocrisy of it. I, I found myself struck with with Tua's head injury mm-hmm. and how everyone reacted to that. Um, I I think it's pretty clear he should not have gone back into that game, and that was stupid. And it sort of exposes this h- hypocrisy there. But there are three competing things that are happening. There is, on the one hand, players. And for years, I did a freelance job for the Sporting News. Like So this was back to when I was working at the Seattle Times. It even goes back to when I was covering the NBA. And part of it, you would do this anonymous poll. And you would ask players a series of questions. And every year for the NFL poll, uh, two of the questions would be, are you concerned about the long-term effects of head injuries from your sport? And then another question would be, would you knowingly conceal symptoms of a concussion to continue playing. Every player always said, yes, I'm concerned about it. And I never had one player tell me that they would not hide symptoms of a concussion. There's a couple of guys that I know who have told me how they beat the concussion test. And it was, it was in conversations. I wasn't reporting a story, but it's like, is that, is that a test you want to beat? Like, why, why would you want to be like, just, and his explanation for that was if I'm, if I'm aware enough that I have to beat the concussion test, I'm fine. And so there's that mentality of the player. And then there's the fact that that mentality benefits the employer, right? Like the team ultimately is self-interested as well. And they, they're self-interested in, in, in contract negotiations and to a certain extent their players' health. Like, what really concerns them is will this player be able to benefit us? And overall, they don't, they don't, I don't believe, te- I don't think teams are usually malevolent. Like, I don't think teams are usually like, we're going to lie to him about what's happening. So he puts his health at risk, but they have an incentive to that player. And then there's the public, which is increasingly uncomfortable with the physical risks that these players are taking. And comes up with the very understandable, hey, players need to be protected from themselves. When those three things come together, what happened with Tua? Some version of that is always going to happen, which is player suffers a clear injury. Player is not transparent about that injury. Team decides to err on the side of, well, he checked out okay, so he can go back and play. And then everybody's like, oh my God, how did you do that? and and the NFL's response to these things is to say like the process was wrong right like that's how we got the 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 independent neurologist it was after Colt McCoy in 2011 gets obliterated on a Thursday night game so it's this primetime game everybody sees him concussed he ends up missing a play going back in after he was clearly concussed on this hit by Harrison like he, he was not okay to play. And afterwards, everybody's like, oh, my God. So then it's like, okay, we're going to have a neurologist on the sideline, an independent doctor to evaluate the guy to make sure that the team doesn't just say, well, we, did, we didn't think he was concussed. We didn't see it. The exact same thing is happening with this. And, and I suppose it's like an a incremental improvement. But there is something about that intersection of the player's willingness to play, the team's desire to have them play, the public's discomfort with them playing while injured that I kind of think is irreconcilable. And it's just so every so often you're going to have a very clear head injury that doesn't get treated properly. And then everybody freaks out about it. And are like, oh, my God. And it's a failure of process. I'm like, it's not a failure of process. It's a result of the inherent contradictions of how we view and handle player health in this sport.
0: Yeah, I, I
1: feel like we also, as fans watching, cannot even get close to the mindset that a player has to get into to go out on the field and play. Mm-hmm. And when a player's in that mindset, the last thing they want to do, if they're even vaguely conscious of what's going on, sorry, conscious is a poor word to use in that scenario, they want to play. and. Yes it kind of transcends into the Devante Adams push. Yeah, he's probably so hyped up that, you know, I know that people on Twitter want to say, oh, it's a disgrace. I don't think we can even begin to rationalise the mindset these guys have to get themselves into to put themselves into 100 car crashes a game. And so I do have to sympathise with them in, in certain things like that. Um, it feels like the the sport itself is a bit of a tipping point. And I come to it as what having watched it for a decade and kind of seeing the, the rise of, faux compassion let's say from the outside in yeah Uh, and i wonder how it's going to go from here
2: yeah i have the same question i i wonder how it's going to go i i love i love watching football like i that that is part of it there is a chunk of me that is uncomfortable with it i really respect and admire football players I know in my heart of hearts, like the absolute number one core belief I have is that players should have control of their health. Should they be allowed to play football? Yeah, I think so. No, I know. So, but it's also a youth sport as well. Like I like, I, I like boxing. I like UFC and we allow those sports to happen, which are clearly dangerous, but it's different, right? Because we kind of understand those are combat sports and, and, the idea of having a guy no longer fight because he's concussed, you're kind of like, well, there's, there's a whole different sort of criteria that's used there of, he has to actually be technically knocked out. Um, and we're trying to treat football like it's a different kind of sport, but it's kind of between it's, it's closer to boxing and UFC than anybody would be comfortable, truthfully admitting, um, and and there are there are some some deeper there are some deeper issues, especially as it goes to to kids playing and the example that's set there.
0: Yeah, I mean, t- two things on the Devante thing. I think Duke Mike said uh, last week, I about how dark and like the post game locker room is after losses, but when they decompress by like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's kind of like, and because I've seen the film, but the decompressing is legit. And Dan Soda said, We put it in the bin. Like, fantasy football has kind of skewed everything because, like, Naeem it's Hines. Commodified,
1: does, it's commodified
0: the players to the fans, yeah. so like, Naeem Hines gets absolutely rung up last Thursday night. And, like, you've got people tweeting about how, um, whoever the third running back is in the Colts is like a, a pickup guy for. Six days later on imaginary wa- waiver wires, it's like it's everything is kind of geared towards like the the, the, the how disposable kind of everything is. It's yeah, it's all, it all kind of like intertwines and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's it just sucks with a shout. But on Ken, on Kenny Walker, Ken Walker, Danny, that is like I said, it's that could be a accelerant to
2: everything if he does more with more. Isn't it? He should, right? Like, I feel, I feel that it's a great opportunity for him. And he's certainly someone whose pedigree and profile, like, this should be an opportunity that. It's not a situation where you're like, oh, my gosh, they're relying on someone that you can't really expect that much from. Like, mm. no, man, he he, sh- he should be ready to go and, and to handle this. I'm not sure how it will be, but I'm encouraged. And, and I think there's some really, really positive signs there. I like DJ Dallas. I like Travis Homer. I I, I, I think they should be able to to continue to, to run the ball the way that they want to. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's it, – yeah, but like, but like you watch Priest Hall who got taken a couple weeks before him, he's – in a bit of more of a commute situation. He looked, he's hit the ground running for the, the Jets, and that offense is, I mean, come back, two mentions on one podcast. Joe Flacco was a quarterback for a while there as well. So <laughs> um anything else on Sunday, Adam? Or?
1: i I kind of like to wrap up kind of the view on the Seahawks, really, because five weeks in, uh yeah, before the game against Denver, I don't I think people kind of had an idea of what they thought the season was going to look like. And I would argue it's been the polar opposite of what we've actually seen. So, and I think that's probably giving people positivity because scoring points is objectively great and more fun. <laughs> and I guess if you're losing, at least you're scoring. And eh, the defence, whatever, like we don't know much about defence, so we'll bury that and we'll just enjoy <laughs> the the four touchdown games. <laughs> On the flip side, there's part of me that looks at this team and thinks, well, the the hardest thing to get maybe in the whole of sport is a quarterback. And they mm-hmm. don't really have that for the future. And they also look like they have a generationally horrific defense. So potentially (laughs) the whole thing is completely, completely knackered. But I'm wondering if you think that overall we're more positive than we should, or I don't know, is the grass greener now than it was five weeks ago, despite the fact that maybe on paper it looked worse? Or do you think actually there are some deeper lying issues that maybe, you know, hopefully 2023 championship game is not going to be as possible as maybe we once thought.
2: Yeah. I started out the season. I started out thinking they were going to be eight and nine. And then I gradually went to 10 and seven. Cause I was so sick of everybody telling me how they were going to win four games. So I was like, <laughs> I'll just have, I'm going to skew this hard the other way. And, and exactly what you said, this is the exact opposite of what I expected. I thought they were going to be a God awful offense. And I thought they, that I thought their defense was going to be okay. And instead They've got a, they've got an above average good offense right now. Like, I want to see it for a little bit more, but like that's all the signs are there that this is a this is a very this this is going to be a upper half of the league offense, even given that their their schedule's been light, and that defense looks like it has problems. I I feel that they're that they're going to end up in that sort of very mid eight and nine seven and ten maybe nine and eight range. And I think people should feel good about that because they're going to have four picks in the first two rounds. It's good news that Geno Smith looks like he does because not only do you sort of have that possibility that like, okay, maybe this is real. And he, he sustains this level of play, which I don't think is likely, but it's possible. I, you still have the means to go out and get another quarterback in the offseason, if they don't, if they don't draft a guy and just go in next year with Gino, then I'm going to I will throw up my hands <laughs> and say this is a terrible process like that. I think this is really bad. Um, but I, I, I think it's I, I think all the signs are there. Pete. Pete gets guys to buy it like and I've always thought if there was a flaw that Pete had over the past in the post Super Bowl sort of the post back-to-back Super Bowls and it's that he held on to his defensive players a little too long. I think he's better with younger guys and I think he has that. I think we're going to see that on the defense this season. That's an act of faith and me being like in the bag for Pete. I, I think we're going to see that over this season. I I think there's a lot of room for encouragement. Um, and not, not only that, but like, I really thought, I, mean, I thought Russ was going to be tearing the league up. Like, and I still would have said, and I still would have said to people, like, okay, don't don't kill the Seahawks for that deal, because we're gonna need to see where Russ is in three years. And and the the issue in Seattle was a lot less sustainable than people thought. And instead, it looks like you're like, Oh my God, like Seattle got out from under that. Like they got <laughs> so that that's probably skewing my my perspective a little bit. Like I would say that. I would say that I'm as optimistic as I was when the season started, just for dramatically different reasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I, I definitely was fine winning week one and just 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 having a merry for the next seven sixteen weeks. Week one was yeah was this podcast Super Bowl Danny? Quite <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How have, um, you guys,
2: how have you guys handled post Russ?
0: Uh, well if you have not notice we don't say the name of the Broncos. I know callers. I saw that. <laughs> that's, that's how we, we handle it. it. That's
2: that, that how we handle like, it. That's that how we, we handle it. Are you guys getting it. satisfaction out of it? Oh yeah. Like you guys, like would do you, do you watch do you watch nah. like I, I would say I watch have I watched them as much? Yeah, I've probably watched the Broncos as much as I've watched the <laughs> Seahawks
1: this year. The, the fascinating thing is that's that sick person. Uh, like British culture and British sports fandom deals in schadenfreude like Mm -hmm. no one else. So I think the levels of enjoyment that Stu and I are getting and maybe the whole of the UK fan base is exponentially higher than in America where, you know, oh, yeah, we might win the trade. Isn't it fun? Whereas we are probably hammering him and think it's completely hilarious to see. Like, we revel in people's face. If you leave my team, I want you to be horrific and fail and embarrassed there's like i don't want a ring of honor ceremony i don't want him to come like and actually i don't i keep saying this i don't think there's going to be the appetite for that in 15 years time i just don't see it the way in which his personality is just not intertwined with the city in the same way that some of the others were maybe maybe he'll come back groveling but i just don't for me, there's a fissure there between the relationship between player and City that I don't think you get from players that come back and get their flowers. For me, it's just like, thanks, you were great, we're done. So for me, I'm I'm enjoying every part of it.
2: It's very <laughs> possible what what you said will happen. Sean, Sean Alexander's getting inducted into the Ring of Honor, and Sean has that sort of relationship with Seattle, where, I mean, he's the only MVP in the team's history, but he's fourth or fifth favorite player off of that team and like there's nobody that thinks he shouldn't be in the ring of honor there's nobody like oh why are they putting him in there but he's not he doesn't he doesn't resonate like and and it's possible that russ that 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 russ won't it's also possible that russ won't be in the hall of fame which Mm. i was i'm surprised to think that but i if he doesn't become an elite quarterback again like he, not he, he's not getting in like, that's, that's not going to happen. I don't think.
1: Yeah. Um, Th- yeah. There's pl- there's players that we've been lucky enough to speak to Stuart and I, that if they get their ceremony, I would be looking at flights to try and be there in the stadium. Yeah. If the ceremony was happening in my back garden for Russell Wilson, I'd close the curtains.
2: <laughs> I love it. I mean, <laughs> I, mean that. I, 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 I will say this. Cause I, and I've always thought that I'm a little bit because I I'm bitter. Like I definitely I have great. Yeah, you're one of us. Yeah. So, and I realized I realized it most poignantly when, so I'm a golden state warriors fan. I have mm-hmm. been since I was like 10 or 11 and they came and played the trailblazers in my little podunk town in Oregon. And the war, the warriors were awful for like 20 years and they've been great. Like just unbelievable. Like one of the happiest discoveries, like they're a blast. And when they got Durant, it was kind of unfair because they' they're winning and they have the most talent. I was like, it wasn't really that much fun anymore. And by that point, I'd realized I was like, I hate the Thunder more than I like the Warriors. <laughs> like the before they got Durant, that the, the Warriors came back from a three- one deficit against a Thunder team that was out. like the Thunder had their number. Like they, the, the Warriors were done that series. And, and Clay played off his ass in a game six to force a game seven, and they, and they beat him, and it was just this epic tro- choke job. And I was like, I was so much happier by that, that when the Warriors lost in the finals to the Cavaliers, which should have been this dagger, they won, uh, set the record for victories, and it doesn't really matter because they didn't win the title. I was like, dude, they... They destroyed the entire city of Oklahoma. Like Oklahoma City was done. Durant left. Like this is the greatest season that I've ever witnessed. I'm like, I am a bitter, bitter bastard.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, I mean, Adam, I'm not too sure if you know anything about hating a, a, another, a different team more than you like your own team. Yeah, sure. I think it was right <laughs> in my wheelhouse, to as you well.
2: Who do Spurs hate most? Arsenal. Oh, really? Okay.
0: So I, I I sat next to Adam about five weeks ago at a Champions League game the first Champions League game for two three years Adam and they were tuning yeah. up against Marseille and the first thing they sung was Are you watching Arsenal? Not <laughs> not not like, not like any the song about the goal scorer or the manager. <laughs> Are you watching Arsenal? <laughs> I love it.
2: <laughs> uh, I have enjoyed the, the Ted Lasso manager for Leeds. I kind of become a Leeds oh, fan, which see, is
0: terrible. Yeah, you've preempted. And there's there's some issues them. with
2: it. There's some issues with it because they're owned by the Niners, too. Yeah. Like, mm. But uh, uh, oh, I, kind of, I kind of like it and. and <laughs> they the American manager is such a tool.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've you preempted my bin. I was gonna like hope, uh, help get you to help us lead an intervention and get Yeah, him. let's get on with the bins, if, if, yeah, before we get to the bin, you just mentioned Shaw Alexander, you covered the team during this yes. time there. Yeah, what, what was he like to cover? Because like, he, he was he's probably the reason I'm a Seahawks fan. He's the, the first guy I remember watching, he went off the day after he's the first year as AIA, and he's kind of like he was like my like Kobe Bryant into NFL Mm -hmm. was probably Sean Alexander. So what was he like? I mean, but when I got deep into it, he was playing for Washington. I think he went to.
2: Yeah. I think he he, only played for Washington. I think he got let go by Seattle after the 2007 season. Yeah, And then, and then I think he went to Washington and then he, he came back and played in Seattle. And I think he was let go not too long after that. Like he really went off a cliff. He's an incredibly good guy. Um, like really, really it's I'm devoted to his wife, He's very religious. Um, he's very aloof and was kind of I would describe him as as relatively untethered to reality. Like he had he had a very um he's he definitely saw himself as his own sort of entity and and kind of one of those seattle's fortunate to have me sort of sort of things and he didn't resonate with the city. See, i sound like i'm just murdering the guy um because he he's he's really he's a good dude but here's the best here's the best story that i can say to epitomize sean 2005 he's going to set the all-time touchdown record, the all-time scoring record on a team that goes 13-3. and That season starts with sort of the question of whether or not Holmgren's even going to be back. After that year, they have a new president. They, they start out 2-2, two and two, and then they just go on this epic run. It's unbelievable. They scored their offense. It's the best offense. I, I know they've scored more points since. That was the best offense in team history. And just before Christmas, ESPN the Magazine is going to do a cover story. On Sean and the offense. And Sean suggests to the, the writer uh, who I know that a photo be taken. Here's what your cover photo is. And what Sean wants is the five offensive linemen dressed up as elves. And in the back, Sean will be in a Santa suit holding the Lombardi trophy and the MB, MVP. And the, 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 the front of the magazine will say, All I Want for Christmas. And the idea of Steve Hutchinson and Walter Jones <laughs> being <laughs> dressed as elves, who are who are the, the the little worker bees for the running back. That the offensive line was the best thing about that team. Hasselback was really really good. That and specifically that tandem of of Walt and Hutch was just dominant. And Tobek is it, like it, it's that's the heart and soul of the team. Like this whole thing. And I was like, the fact that Sean not only saw it that way, but was telling the writer, here's how you present this. <laughs> I was like, it embodied everything about that, where it's it wasn't mean spirited, like it was not Sean badmouthing anyone or maligning. It's just he saw himself as the epicenter of it. And that was very clear to the, to the people that were around him. He is an incredibly talented and productive and people would talk about, he's not tough. He goes down too easy. Well, if that's the case, he's the most talented running back in NFL history because <laughs> the yards he did get while being that soft are un like that run of seasons. He had the five straight is unbelievable. Like he's, incredibly productive. And yes, it was a really good line. And I know that people have told me that Marshawn Lynch gains 2,500 yards. If he's running behind that line. And that means that Sean Alexander would have gained 3000 yards. If he would have been absolutely actually tough because he unbelievable player, but just didn't resonate. And there's a little bit. That's part of the same sort of thing with, with Russ. Russ is much more sort of polished in this presentation and certainly a bigger star, but there was always a sense that his solar system revolved clearly around him to an extent that the other the other planets in there kind, kind of kind of didn't interact with him as, yeah. as or 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 like him at the same degree. Yeah,
0: the the, the stuff on Marshall and Bristol with Shem on that podcast should say is kind of it's as illuminated as I think stuff where he if he wants to talk to him he has to go through his manager and he kind of wants to, but doesn't want to go through his manager.
2: So Marshawn was one of the guys that I would say really kind of stuck up for Russ. And in the sense that like there were some guys on that team that did not think Russ was very good. Like there's and Sherm is clearly one of those people, right? That thinks yeah. he's he's a he's an okay quarterback who got put on a, a a team that and he was kind of this young growing player. Russ is a better player than Sherm thinks. Like that, that is, is very evident to me. And Marshawn was always someone like Russ's dog, like Russ is tough, like Russ, when they had that game against Houston, it was like week four of 2013 and they end up winning that game in overtime. Sherman has a pick six to, but there was like, Marshawn was like, Russ, you're going to have to take this over. Like there was, there was always a degree of respect. And I, I think Marshawn, and I think even with the trade thing and how that came down, I, I think, I think even guys that really went to bat for, for Russ, feel they 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 kind of feel that showed what russ was really about
0: yeah yeah uh, if no one's listened to it who's listened to this go and find the sherman sean podcast it's it's absolutely brilliant two of the the best people and definitely the two white whales of the pedestrian podcast as well in terms of guests (laughs) uh right jump into the bin i'm gonna start uh danny's already spoiled mine as 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 a Leeds fan, apparently, <laughs> come come, please 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 please, come and get your boy, come and come come and, come come and pick him up because, nah, I can't like nah, like Bielsa Be- has always, like, these like, but but,
2: come on, like,
0: <laughs> he's 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 so, not for
1: us, he's, he's not, not nah. he's not to he's, our taste. Do you nah, think
2: he's, he's doing not, it deliberately? Yeah. He's kind of trying to troll, right? Like, and take some of the pressure off of his own players. Like, that's kind of what I've I've tried to think. Like, he's not really this insufferable, is he? <laughs> I, don't, I, I
0: don't think...
1: Honestly, I don't, there's, there's so much marginal gains that can be achieved in soccer by being like that and maybe getting into a referee's head. And honestly, I just think it's just maybe you get a throw in your way or a corner or a penalty because the refs just can't be bothered with you. So they just give you one. They just give you a call uh, just to get you off their back. I think there's, there's part of it like that. And and also if, if you become the story, obviously, you know, with the pride comes the fall, but if it does take all the pressure off your players, it's, it's not bad process, I suppose.
2: It was. So my brother is, he was kind of the first on the Leeds bandwagon and we were pretty into, I think, was it the first match when they, did they play wolves? And there was kind of the shout, mm. there was the exchange yeah. with, the 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 tall is he italian the italian manager Portuguese Portuguese, Portuguese. Portuguese. yeah because there's like, cause there was, like the, the clash that was at the end we were like oh yeah we like that like more recently we've been like yeah i don't know like maybe if they put him <laughs> in a suit and stopped him wearing his tight jeans like he'd be a little more understated <laughs> like like maybe if we made it like they made him wear a tie like it would be a little less like because he's he's doing too much like is Doing.
1: It's a long season. If you start at level yeah. ten, you <laughs> haven't got many places to go from there. Unfortunately,
0: there's 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 also a manager um, who joined all the queen, the queens' uh, tributes and winning silences and everything they did. Who walked out of the uh, tunnel in a suit, did all the tributes and stuff, walked back into the judge room and got put a track suit on. <laughs> that was funny, but yeah, but that that wasn't surprisingly that wasn't just Marsh. That was uh, someone who's taking uh, blood money from the Saudis. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, any anyone anyone for the bin?
1: Well, no. I mean, I, I literally for the bin is my old laptop, and this is the first podcast of 196 that I've done with the new one. So hopefully that comes good. So it's it's literally in the bin to <laughs> my old laptop. But I don't think that's quite in keeping with. Uh, with this, you know, Danny, I quite like to get a little bit of a contentious one with our guests every now and again. And your old mate, Paul, has got to go in the bin for this Astros loving. I, I, He he, he got the unfollow. I unfollowed him today. There was a video about Jordan Alvarez's home run that was one step too far from me. And my people in Seattle mean too much to me to allow this baseless trolling to find its way into my timeline. So he got the big red X and he's in the bin.
2: I appreciate that and in, <laughs> and in endorse and endorse that maneuver. There's there are rules for sports bigamy and he's been <laughs> Paul's, Paul's been put into a difficult spot because yeah, he, yes. he's navigated. Here would be my objection. Once you dump a team, you can never pick up that team again. Like once once you do that, like you, you, you don't you don't get to take them back. I'm I'm not I'm not as adamant as i used to be about the inability to change teams like i used to really be like you can either cheer for the team that your dad cheered for or you can cheer for the team that you grew up in the closest geographic proximity to or have a very very valid reason to to cheer for and that's really about it like and the all the other ones like you can love them as much as you want but they're always going to be like a tear down i'm less dogmatic about that but he broke up with Houston. (laughs) <laughs> he did it. he did a whole video about it and like this sort of moving on and found new love like you can't go back like you can't go back and so i i i i totally i totally support and 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 endorse that one
1: well he can go back from houston but he cannot get out of the bin
0: no
1: until i issue him with a get out of bin free card he is <laughs> he cannot get out of that bin so let that be a lesson to you Anyone.
0: Uh, Danny, are you sure you're not English? Because everything you just said about proximity and growing up with what your dad's doing Dad, and stuff, that's kind of on. like why I'm wearing this, why Adams uh, goes to Tottenham Hotspur every every other Saturday and Wednesday night. Are you sure you're not like in- English, sporting-wise I, English?
2: I think I'm probably as far from it as I could, I could be, right? Like my parents were from LA, and mm-hmm. I was born in the boondocks in Oregon. Um, like it's... And we didn't have any pro teams like there was the Blazers, but I didn't even root for them because they it was equidistant from the Bay Area and Manute Bull, I thought it was awesome because he was seven foot six and shot three pointers, so I cheered for him. Um, but I, I appreciate that. I love I love England. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do, and I I one of the things that I've honestly loved the most. Um, I've tried to, a little bit to reinvent some of the way I watch sports um, and following the Premier League. And that's why I say, like, I, I'm not, because usually when an American follows the Premier League, they pick a team and then that becomes kind of their adopted team. And I've really tried to be like, just watch it more, like, just, just watch a game. And I'm not up to being able to follow the transfers. Like I can't, I, I haven't gone that far yet. Like I don't really understand the mechanics of how things work, but trying to appreciate I, the pageantry, like, and the, the, the vitriol and the understanding that people have and the way like in America, you kind of hide. Like Troy Aikman tries not to talk about the Dallas Cowboys as if he's rooting for them, which kind of makes it less honest because we know who it is. Like in England, they're kind—they're really open about those things. Like it's That's just a new of, oh, thing. You, oh, That's isn't happened. it? We, yeah, 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 we've come
1: through the looking glass on that with two or three pundits that are exceptionally good at their job. And as a result, we've allowed them to be much more partisan. Ten Did years you- ago, that would have been really bad news.
2: Really? Okay. Mm. Why do you think that's happened? Is it the quality of the the announcer?
1: The, the quality of their work mitigates the partisan. And, and they happen to support the two biggest teams in the league, which so they get but, less pushback because they've got bigger following behind them. I yeah, would
0: but, say. but also I think it's the familiarity our generation had with those. Yeah, we also well. watched them play. We, we watched them play their entire careers. We pretty much watched every second of their careers. Okay, And now they're on our TVs two, three times a week. I mean, one of them's on CBS over over there, Jamie Carragher. He's one of our top pundits. Yeah. in the CBS Champions League stuff. But yeah, I think and, it's, and it's actually, such a concussion of everything.
1: As pro as they are to their team, they also give the appropriate level of respect to everyone else. So it doesn't feel like it's they're ever mocking the opposition. There might be some joviality with it, like if a rival loses, but they will give absolute deference to any team playing well, whoever they support. And I think as a result, we've accepted that.
2: But yeah. I think Troy
1: Aikman could do that, and no one would have a problem with it.
2: I totally agree because I was actually I was telling someone I was like, the the most ardent fans are usually the most critical of their own team. Like they like there's that the homerism, the boosterism that happens like that. That's kind of amateurish. Like most of the people that are in those sort of positions are going to be more scrutinizing of the of the teams that they cover and willing to acknowledge and accept because they're grown up adults when their team loses why they lost and to compliment the opponent. But um, yeah, that's that's I I've I've, I've enjoyed that about, about the, the Premiership.
1: Danny, you're up if you have if you have them um, someone for uh, the ill
2: fated dust. So, um, yeah I'm trying. Uh, I I'm going to throw, this is going to mean nothing to anyone other than, so I'll, I'll do a real one after this, but I want to throw my friend, Josh Malinger, who's my, uh, he's the biggest soccer loving fan. I know I went to college with him because he's a Manchester United fan. <laughs> Quite right too. <laughs> I'm going to tell like, as I was always like, Oh, that was a real risky uh, a decision that you made in the 1990s to decide that you were going to be a Manchester <laughs> He goes to the the pub and like really tries to be super, super tough about it. And I've always like, yeah. Like you're just like every Yankees Lakers fan I know. Like that's exactly what you are. Um, The (laughs) the the other the 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 person that I believe I believe most warrants the bin this year. It's going to be the quarterback at Denver. He's he's in the bin. He's (laughs) got. He has a a timeshare
1: in there, by the way. He's he's got to be in
2: the bin, and the reason that he's in the bin currently, right now, is because. Whoever decided to tell Adam Schefter that he had a shoulder injury, like whoever, whoever decided to. And actually that's who it is. That's in the bin is the person who decided to (laughs) tell Adam Schefter that Russell Wilson had the shoulder injury. And, and the reason they're in the bin isn't just because it's sort of this excuse making, try to minimize. The reason they're in the bin is because they did Russell no favors. They did him absolutely no favor by saying that it was in fact, indicative of the sort of amateurish management that led to the ridiculous departure from seattle that has burned a lot of equity in a place that he would have been toasted at forever no matter what he did Mm. because deciding to say like well actually he's been he's been hurt for the past seven quarters they went down to the specifics of when he got hurt telling Schefter this and as my wife who is a fairly ardent An observant fan now she she immediately says well what about the first three games (laughs) (laughs) which i was like very good point he (laughs) was terrible in those two and and the idea that well you have to understand that he's gonna nobody cares if you're hurt like and if you are hurt you have to keep your mouth shut about it until you stop playing and then once you stop playing Then we have a very brief window in which you are allowed to politely acknowledge that, yes, I've been playing through an injury. Everybody plays through injuries. I'm going to get this fixed, and I hope that will improve my performance next season. And then you you open up a small window, not of forgiveness, but of possibility that your future performance will improve based on the remedy to a clear physical deficiency, which you admirably hid. Russell has forfeited all of that. He gets none of that benefit of he's going to have to endure all of the slings and arrows that come with subpar performance. And once it comes out, if he's like going to have surgery or whatever it is, nobody's going to give him any benefit of the doubt about it. Colossal stupidity.
0: Mm-hmm. No, nah, it's, it, it's like the scene in the office. usage used it's reference twice today, which is strange um, when Michael Scott declares bankruptcy. And just stands in the middle of the office and screams, I declare bankruptcy. It's kind of like, that's what he's doing. Like it didn't do anything. It doesn't no, change anything. At but all. You've, 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 you've made your intentions.
2: Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, is it's, he not going to play this week? No, he's going to play this week. Like, yeah. and every, every player out there, every teammate, I guarantee you, like they look at it like, this is like, you, you're hurt. Are you playing? Then you're not hurt. Like you, you, you don't, <laughs> you don't get to go out and say, I, I suck because I'm hurt. Like if you're going to do that, you have to keep your mouth shut. Like it's a very clear understanding of, and if you are hurt, everybody that matters will know it, but declaring it like this is trying to engender sympathy and players will have none of it.
0: Yeah. Like like I said, like we both said, loving it. Absolutely. I declare, I declare absolute. bankruptcy. My <laughs> <shoulder break. laughs> it's, uh, it's, I
1: it's a it. bit unfortunate. I mean, the entire NFL insider game appears to be dominated by uh, my tribesmen um and uh you know people think that us us jews like control the banks and control the media and control the lawyers we don't control anything but we do unfortunately control the nfl insider game and if you want to obliterate that like i'll take it like i don't need that association <laughs> with my good people we're fine you know, Kanye, I promise, like we're we're good people, uh, but you can have them. You can have them. it's been a bad week for, for all that stuff. So I, had, I need to try and bring a bit of mirth to it because it's been so upsetting <laughs> seeing some of the stuff. Yep. But yeah, the Schefters and Rappaports and Silvers, like, ugh, I I don't want I don't want them on my team if if, if I can avoid it.
0: But, <laughs> nah. who, who, who was the NFL player you we found out who was, was it? AJ Dillon? It's jewish is that the one we found out yeah, i think i think he
1: is he's really? automatically the greatest ever jewish athlete it's great yeah. to have him <laughs>
2: yeah fantastic th- i'm sure i i found out it was a couple years ago i found out that on my mother's side it's my mother's father mm-hmm. was jewish and he 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 didn't reveal that like he you we'll take uh, you his hey, we'll last, name, you. His so last I- name was corn and so it was fascinating because i started and so i've i've gone back and talked to his family was from san diego and his brother, his brother did refer to him himself and identified as Jewish. And he did not. And my my grandfather, I didn't see him really. He became estranged from my mom and then they reconciled. But I didn't see him after I was like 18 years old. But it was so interesting to 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 realize that like there's this whole part of I tried to put myself in his shoes mm-hmm. of why and what that meant. And it's such a yeah
1: it's, it's, so a stranger, it's a strange it's a whole to, it's a whole nother podcast yeah, out, yeah. Danny, let so, me tell you yeah. it's yeah. a whole nother podcast.
0: I've 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 been to Krakow, which is where Schindler's work uh-huh. Schindler was, and like basically a whole city did that after after everything. Like they they just the population anyway, like as I said, it's a complete different the whole city just stopped saying they were Jewish because of because of yeah. Auschwitz being 40 miles. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this this is... Uh, Did not expect your bin to... At, at
2: least we got to say Kanye is an idiot. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, get Kanye that. in the
1: bin. Get him in the yes. bin. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, oh. Danny, yeah. I have one final question. I think since the last time we spoke, you started kind of writing behind a paywall and that's got to take quite a lot of guts to do that. Um, and I'm interested not maybe not guts is the, is the wrong word, but to put yourself out there, it may, it adds a level of, of vulnerability. I think when you're kind of people are, you know, directly doing something like that, how have you found that? Cause I mean, the stuff's fantastic.
2: Well, it's very nice of you to say, um, I have started doing a newsletter. I, I would say that that's something even now I'm still trying to figure out how that is going to go. It's called the dang apostrophe. Um, I've got an incredible sort of opportunity or latitude. So I've not, I got let go from the radio station about a year ago and, and they were, they were totally pros about it. Like they were, I had moved to New York in 2019 when, when we moved, um, I expected to be leaving the radio station then. And we were going to, my wife was taking a job out here and I was going to kind of make a go of it as a freelance writer. Um, I ended up getting the opportunity to work remotely, which was, which, which provided some structure and did that for two years. But there was a, there was a limit on how long. So for the last year I've, I've been a freelance writer. Um, I do have a newsletter that's called the dang apostrophe. I'm, I'm experimenting with a lot of different forms of writing. Um, I've been taking some, some creative nonfiction classes, some personal essay. Um, I'm working on a memoir on, on my family. Um, actually it's, uh, so I have a, both my parents have passed away. Um, my dad died when I was 13, and then my mom died uh in 2019. And I have a stepfather who I had a very difficult relationship with, so is essentially my only remaining sort of parental like figure, but I haven't seen him in a long time. I'm actually talking to him tomorrow for the first time in 15 years, and I'm I'm writing something about my family. Um I, I guess it's a memoir. Um I still don't know exactly like how it's all going to come together. Parts of it are going to appear on the newsletter um and I'm and I'm planning on on trying some some different things. It's so the short answer is it's actually very fun and I'm enjoying the opportunity to experiment. Brilliant. It's weird because I my my life has been covering sports. So I live in New York the people who have followed my work previously, followed it based on Seattle sports. And I'm trying to write about something like new types of subjects and more personal and less sort of, it's not sports journalism or not always. So trying to find the right mix of how do I provide some of it? Like how much do I still wanna write about sports? It's very exciting though. Um, And I've experimented with a lot of different stuff and I'm excited to see what happens going forward. in terms of a podcast. And, and I am going to, I am going to be writing a series of of things, not only on my family, but also on trying new things. Um, how do you become a beginner again? So I'm learning a series of activities, like I'm learning to surf. Um, I'm playing baseball again, and so, all of these things are kind of a, a different. So, I have these different writing projects. That was way more a long meandering answer than. No, no. that. that's great. Awesome. And I'm
1: pleased we get to plug the plug the newsletter yeah. because it is great. So, Some great stuff on there.
2: So, I'm, I'm kind of continuing, yeah, and and experimenting. I I'm, I'm pretty excited about where it's going to end up going, even though I don't know quite what the shape is going to be. How how like,
0: how how quickly did you how did you find or how quickly did you transition from being on? I mean, you on the Seattle the Seahawks beat. You on the Seattle sports beat. For like two decades,
2: yeah, yeah, year? 50, fifteen years, yeah.
0: No, like, 16. and then, like you said, you're thousands of miles away. You were, yeah, half halfway you know, equidistant between there and here, pretty much. But that, how, how how quickly was that transition from doing that every day, having to talk about um, the miserable Mariners teams and the the obviously as fun as that, those COCs would help to not like having to do that every, not not having to be on that hamster wheel every day for your But yeah,
2: it's very different. Um, And there's a tendency that I've had to slide back into the habits of writing about sports like a sports journalist, right? Like of writing about the Seahawks like I did for 15 years and trying to remind myself or say that like, okay, I, I don't really want to do it that way. Like I want to find a new way to do it yet at the same time, I have people that, I maintain connection with and still want to follow what I'm doing, that that's kind of what they want to. So finding the right mix, I think has been, has been challenging. Um, It's been exciting to, to think about writing in a different way um, and, and really learn. There was a discovery that I had. uh, One of the first classes, like longer classes that I took about creative nonfiction, Um, the initial review like the teacher came back and she's like, well, the first in the first thousand words of this, you kind of give away the whole plot of the story with me and my stepdad and, and my family. She's like, you've got to pace it out. And I, and I was kind of like, huh, I don't really know what that means. And I, I don't must re- fly
1: completely in the face of writing about sports
2: a hundred, hundred percent. And so, and I came across in another book where it was talking about, it was a, it's the guy that, uh, he wrote the, he, he wrote, dirty john which was like a mini series about this uh con artist who was like a philanderer but it's a guy that's been a crime journalist who's written narrative sort of nonfiction, which is kind of what i'm trying to do and he's like there's a difference between articles and stories like articles are written to convey information that's what i basically spent my whole professional life doing like stories have a beginning And they have rising suspense and they have a climax and they have twists and you have to withhold and pace and all of those things. And so I was like, oh, that makes sense to me. I now have to learn to write stories. I've always thought of myself as a writer or wanted to be a writer. And so those sort of things are very hard to adapt to because you're like, I think I have this proficiency. I'm in my I'm 47 years old. I've been paid to write, fortunately, which is incredible for for more than 20 years now but now I'm trying to do it in an entirely different way, um, which is, which that is hard and it is different um, and it's strange, but it's also, it's also really fun. Awesome.
0: That's brilliant. That's, that's, yeah. That's yeah. That was awesome. Uh, I, 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 for, Context. I did sports journalism at university. Well, sports PR and journalism at university. So yeah, uh, not. I don't do sports or PR or journalism. Uh, yeah, that, yes. Yeah, no, Stu's going to take over from Adam
1: Schefter one day, and I'm going to be <laughs> hanging on to those coattails. No,
0: and I'm going to take all the credit you. for his rise of the uh, talking to the top. Talking of the Broncos quarterback, uh, our man Mike Dugard with the best tweet of the day. He's calling him Mister Limited, um, <laughs> and I'm gonna, which is just. <laughs> MSD man, uh, yeah. Uh, so, where can people find every, all, all, all the dang apostrophe and everything else on socials? And
2: the be- the best place is through Twitter. Yeah. Um, Danny O'Neill, all one word. Um, and if you search Danny O'Neill Substack uh, or the dang apostrophe on Substack, um, you it, it should take you there. And you can always email me. My email address is very complicated. It's Danny at Danny com.
0: I mean. Yeah,
1: it's... There's a the story to tell about email yeah, addresses. That yeah, we we, yeah. we have found it remarkably easy to get in touch with people. Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> yeah. People that should have been much harder to get in touch with than they have been. Let's put yeah. it that way.
0: Yeah. Oh, that short email? <laughs> I could have guessed that. I didn't need to ask for yeah. it. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, massively appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you um, so much. Interrupting the end of uh, Mariner's Game 2 at the Astros, which uh, you probably saw my reaction to the end of it during one of your answers. But they get home game in Seattle for the first time in 21 years, and that's going to be quite a scene this weekend over in Seattle. Uh Arizona at home on Sunday. Uh, time- oh yeah, I completely forgot about that. It was such a
1: nice time. I forgot we had that's, another game.
0: That's, yeah, that's, that's the whole point of these. We're going to get getting guests on. So we don't have to really talk about what may be coming down the road. But Danny, really do appreciate it. And as we said, I think you said last time, and it's obviously a lot easier now post-COVID. Whenever you head over this side of the pond next, you have to hit us up and please do we'll have a
2: few I, a- I absolutely will and you guys you guys will have to take me to a proper football match and not just go. well
0: me, me and adam have two definitions of a proper football yeah match. There's, there's polar opposites <laughs> between where i may take you and where stuart might take you but
2: uh, <laughs> i'll have to experience both
0: both to be fun yeah there's elite and whatever the hell it is i watch every other saturday um all usual means and methods uh Podbean, spotify itunes I think it's still on iTunes. Um, pedestrian Podcast. No, patreon.com forward slash pedestrian podcast. Sign up if you haven't already. It is appreciated, the guys who have supported us on that uh, platform for the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah, enjoy the game, for whatever corner of the world you watch it from. Enjoy Thursday Night Football. That's going to be uh, a bar <laughs> burner, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go for it.